This whole country just like my flock of sheep. We want to know what you intend to give away to the communists. He will bring destruction to our traditions. He looked in his heart and he thought in all humility how he'd like to try and change things. Rip off this city for a hundred grand? Yeah. It's, a, it's a groovy thing to do. I propose to demand from the House the immediate removal of the President of the United States. Mitchell, no, he was talking to a reporter. Yeah, but I think I woke him up. You had good notes? Verbatim. He really said that about Mrs. Graham. Well, I'll cut the words her tit and print it. Why? It was a family newspaper. You know, once when I was reporting, Lyndon Johnson's top guy gave me the word. They were looking for a successor for J. Edgar Hoover. I wrote it, and the day it appeared, Johnson held a press conference and appointed Hoover head of the FBI for life. When he was done, turned to his top guy, and the president said, call Ben Bradley and tell him fuck you. <laughs> well, everybody said, you did it, Ben. You screwed up. You stuck us with Hoover forever. I screwed up, but I wasn't wrong. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Decades Podcast. My name is Deb Kuykendall. I'm Nicole Westry. And I'm Jacob Kuykendall. And this is a podcast where we watch two movies, one from a previous decade and one from a more recent time. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> we are now, we progressed through the uh, decade starting from, we started in, uh, I think, 1913 might have been our first yeah, movie. Yeah, that sounds right. So we go decade by decade. Um, this particular season, we're doing political movies, and mm-hmm. we are watching more than one per decade. That's right. So we have just watched our first movie from the 70s. From the golden age of cinema. From the 1970s. <laughs> we watched um, All the President's Men. Yeah. And a movie called Mark Felt. A modern movie that no one's ever seen or heard of. <laughs> yeah. Came out within a year from now. Even though it stars Liam Neeson, a and well-known actor. everyone else that you've ever heard <laughs> yes. of. And it, again, it came out less than a year ago. Yep. Never heard of it. It grossed like a whole, I think it was 38000 in its opening oh, weekend. Oh no. uh, I think it made a six, $6 million total. Oh, well. All the President's Men made 10 times that in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, right. So it didn't seem like it was made any money. I thought for a minute that like, oh, this must be like an HBO yeah. mo- direct movie or something. Hmm, but I guess that's not. Interesting. I remembered that it existed before I put mm, it on my list. But, I didn't. Mm-mm, yeah. No, we'll get to it. And I didn't really know who Mark Felt was. I knew the name, you know. <laughs> yeah. I did not know that was his name. So Mark Felt, uh, spoiler alert, he was Deep Throat. Mm-hmm. So the theme of this movie, obviously, is Watergate. I thought it was like a Jeremy Speaks sort of thing. What is that? <laughs> what is that? What's the What's the name of that? Jeremy Spoke. Yeah, spoke Jeremy in class Spoke today. Yeah. I mean, maybe with less violence. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, normal, how are we going to do this? Normal format. Uh, we talked a little bit about how to synopsize these two movies since they overlap historically, at least uh, in major major mm-hmm. parts there's some stuff that happens in mark felt that it, that is after watergate and they're also extremely hard to follow the details parts right. of. right both movies have lots and lots of characters doing procedural stuff mm-hmm. and being involved in conspiracies 
and you're supposed to keep track of everybody's names. Well, and both movies also just kind of end where the story ends for those characters, but not where the story ends for our nation. For history. <laughs> yeah, so it doesn't really like have a traditional narrative arc, let's say. Right. I think we should synopsize to the best of our abilities mm-hmm. uh, all the president's men. And then we can talk about that a little bit. And then when we get to Mark Felt, I'll do it. I, read, I, <laughs> I don't know why you're saying that. I didn't say anything out loud. <laughs> Jacob pointed to his nose. Jacob touched his nose so as the not nose to be goes. <laughs> Nicole um, didn't touch her nose, so she could still be it. Even though he's watched the movie twice. I did watch the movie twice accidentally. It. Twice in this past two days. I mean, it's going to be kind of like trying to synopsize... Uh, the, the last movie that we watched, uh, the older movie, which had which spent the first twenty minutes introducing one senator after another, mm-hmm. that you were supposed to keep track of who they were, were and what they what their point in the story was. I mean, maybe if during all the president's men, they assumed their audience was just like familiar enough with these people. In That's real life, true. it was only two years after so. Mark Felt. I don't know why they would expect that of their audience, but no. all the president's men, at least, I could pretend that, like, well, maybe you'd be familiar with like who some of these people are. Right. All right. So I'm going to synopsize all the president's men. When right. we get to Mark Felt, we'll just fill in the pieces of that occur in Mark Felt that are not <laughs> part of the Watergate story. Sure. Sorry. Um, and you read the book of uh, all the president's men. I listened as well. to the. I audio oh, yeah. booked it. Close um, enough. That's like reading. <laughs> And I also audiobooked a book about Mark Felt written by Bob Woodward. So it was kind of about Bob Woodward's and Mark Felt's relationship over mm-hmm. the years. Um, and there were a lot of details in there I did not know. Hmm. For example, that they knew each other long before. Well, I don't know if it was long before. It was like, you know, a year and a half before or whatever. Hmm. They had met, uh, incidentally, before Bob Woodward was a reporter. And oh. I'll talk about that later. Okay. So, uh, All the President's Men starts... Uh, on a click clack <laughs> clack clack click clack <laughs> yeah it's an extreme close-up of a white piece of paper and then uh somebody starts typing and i can't yeah. remember what words they type it was the date oh you're right it was mm-hmm. june 1st 1972 Pro- probably something like that <laughs> it was an important Any day old history. time <laughs> um and it does it sounds like gunfire which i think is intentional yeah. actually and then it sort of backs away right and then you see the newsroom is that how that worked i thought it Either that or it zooms in and it goes straight to Watergate. <laughs> I think it Watergate. just goes straight to Watergate. It starts with the, like so, an establishing shot at nighttime. Oh, yeah, it goes right. to like the tape on the, on the door. Right. So you see a security guard seeing some tape on a door in the Watergate complex. He's and... taped the lock so it wouldn't lock. Right. Just to be clear about where that tape is on that door. Right. The tape is there to keep the door from locking. And the security guard finds it and then he calls the police. And a couple of guys, plainclothes policemen, get... Uh, Sent. Uh, you're going to be hearing the wind blowing right now. We've got a window open in here. I think it's kind of a pleasing. It's like an ASMR <laughs> podcast. It's kind of a pleasing background noise. It just suddenly got very windy outside. Yeah. Anyway, so there, uh, two pl- plainclothes policemen are called, one of whom was played by F. Murray Abraham. <laughs> Apparently. As policeman number one or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and they catch these five, five burglars all wearing rubber gloves or plastic gloves. And in, you know, full-on suits and ties. Mm -hmm. And they've been sneaking around bugging the office, I believe. And then they they are taken over to, you know, they are arrested. I kind of like this scene just because it's, it, it leaves a lot of stuff understated. Like the movie makes a point that the plainclothes policemen 
are called and they're like, no, no, there's an actual, there's another police car that's closer. And they're we're in, not wearing uniforms. Right. And the dispatch is like, yeah, they had to stop. You guys should go. And then they ha- the Watergate people breaking in have a spotter, but he doesn't recognize them as police. So he just says, oh, there's something going on. And the people inside turn their radio off so they won't be too loud. Right. Establishing early on that they are not very <laughs> they smart. They are dumb. Yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of bumbling. You know? Yeah. And then they all hide underneath a desk. <laughs> so they get arrested. Uh, I think there must be some police water stuff going on in the newsroom because mm-hmm. uh, Woodward... Woodward yeah. hears that these people have been arrested, or he gets assigned to it by his editor. I can't remember which. And, yeah, there's been a break-in at the Watergate Hotel. Right, and I think Woodward might have been on, like, the police blotter beat or something, Metro like beat. the late night yeah. well, that makes uh, sense. beat. Uh, so he goes down to the courthouse, and uh, the five guys are being arraigned, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. And they have and, a special attorney. Yeah, the first suspicious thing that happens is he asks who their attorney is of the other reporters that are there from other from other newspapers and they say well these guys were assigned but they actually have their own their own attorney here yeah which is super weird for a low low burglary at middle burglary, of the night right uh-huh. so that's suspicious uh so uh the five guys are talking to the judge and they're keeping their voices low because they're talking about their previous work in government and they they are trying to keep other people from hearing what they're talking about but woodward kind of leans in and it's described exactly that way in the book that was very the book, the movie, the scenes that are in the movie are very close to what is in the book. Hmm. He leans in and he hears them say, he hears one of them say that he worked for the CIA at one time. And that makes him even more suspicious. Yeah, because the judge questions them. Well, what do you guys do for work? And they say they're, um, they're communist. Anti-communist. One of them is anti-communist. <laughs> right. And they all are from Miami. Yeah, one of them says he used to work for the CIA or something. Right. And I think um, more than one of them actually did yeah, work for the later CIA. Yeah, they find that out. So then he goes back to the newsroom and he writes up the story. I don't know what happens. Well, he questions well, yeah, he talks he to the, the attorney as well. Who oh, says, I'm right. not the attorney. I'm not here. But he also says, you know, how do they have a private attorney if none of them were able to make a phone call to yeah. arrange for an attorney? The other thing that they that the five guys have, and I don't know if they mentioned this in the movie or not, they are all carrying almost exactly. I think it was uh, like five hundred dollars. They do mention that in sequential bills. Mm-hmm. One of them had like spent a couple of his, but um, yeah. So that is another suspicious factor that they all have <laughs> yeah. the exact same amount of money and a and lot of it's it. sequential. And they're burglars. <laughs> and they're all one hundred dollar bills. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, yeah. I kind of. I at some point he Woodward. Bernstein gets interested in this story. Oh, when he writes up the story, is this where he puts it in the basket and Bernstein picks it up? It's a little bit later. Yeah, the timeline is a little hard to follow in terms of what exactly Bernstein is working on at this time. It's sort of the same story, but from some different angle. Yeah, he's investigating the campaign or something, and then they get hooked up early on as like, well, well, they're both kind of working on the same thing. Right. I know that... uh, Woodward or the edit, their editor, their direct, Brad, direct it, not not Bradley. He's like the he's the head newspaper guy. Um, <laughs> the guy who I think of is Wilford Brimley, but he's not. Right, <laughs> the guy who talks like this. One of the many grumpy old editors work at, work at the newspaper. That's their direct editor. Um, he he argues that Bernstein and Woodward should be able to work on this, even though they're young, and somebody right. else wants to. Hand it over to the 
to the politics to the guys. politician desk or whatever. Yeah, they want to do that. Also happens a little bit later, but it's kind of like yeah, it's kind of hard to keep things because uh, there's a lot of details and a lot of what happens in the movie is very there's procedures going on. I mean, it, the the movie follows the procedures of them investigating this, and is really just about these two guys. Like right. the, the procedures are all background noise to a story about these two about how they did how they conducted their investigation yeah it's like a detective it's like sherlock holmes you it is about the clues and follow the money and he solves a crime but the story is actually about the people doing the stuff the crime is sometimes background most of it is about sort of their skills at tricking people into giving them information that they don't want to give yeah. by pretending they already have it. Yeah, they do that. and that sort of escalates throughout the movie. Yeah. At mm-hmm. the beginning, they're not quite as brazen about it, but when it gets towards towards the later part of the investigation, I even wrote down, like, way late in the movie, I wrote down medium cool because it was like that whole conversation mm-hmm. of, you know, they are pressuring people to talk who don't want to talk because it's dangerous, Yeah, and they are just kind of like, we're going to use our... We're going to do it. We're going to wheedle this out of you, regardless of the consequences to you personally. Right. Um, but anyway. But be- that's, what the, that's what the movie's about. That's why it's part of why, it, why it's hard to follow, is a lot of this stuff is background information. Right. There's some there's some important scenes, like the the scene where Woodward is writing a story. Here's here's some background on Woodward that I they talk, they do mention it a couple times, that he hasn't been there very long. Correct. Mm-hmm. So um, in the book that I read about Mark Felt, Woodward went into little more detail about how his career as a journalist started and basically he got out of the navy and he decided he wanted to be a journalist and so he went he applied to the washington post and he had no experience whatsoever and the whoever it was that he went and talked to whatever editor it was he said well i'll give you two weeks and you know if you just just sort of on a lark like it was just like a random i'll give you two weeks and he failed Hmm. actually so the guy the editor said go work for this other guy for a year or for a while and uh you know develop your skills this Mm -hmm. this newspaper guy is good at bringing people up and and helping them to develop their skills so he goes and works for a year and then he goes back to the washington post and this happens nine months after that so that's okay. the full extent of his journalistic career at this point. Pretty, pretty slim. Yeah, less than two years mm. in the biz. Um, and they mention a couple of times. To- that's one of Bernstein's, uh, that's Thanks. one of his uh, annoyances with Woodward being yeah. involved because Bernstein's <clears throat> been doing it since he was 16. And there's a little bit of, they talk about it a little bit in the book that there's sort of a conflict between the uh, elite, because Woodward is more of an elite uh you know, scholarly type, yeah, and Bernstein is like a scrapper who, mm-hmm. can, you know, had to fight his way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, slobs and snobs. Yeah, slobs and snobs. <laughs> um, so Woodward starts writing the story, and I don't remember what part of the story it is. And he he throws it in the. It's before they start working together. Mm-hmm. He throws it in the basket for the editor to pick, for the copy editor to pick up. And Bernstein's been eyeballing him the whole time, and he goes over and takes it out of the basket. Well, they've kind of been eyeballing each other, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah. Bernstein takes it out of the basket, takes it over to his desk, and starts rewriting it. And then, right. of course, Woodward is not hey, too happy with that. what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so uh, Bernstein says, well, I think if you would read it, you would see that my version is better than yours. Mm-hmm. And Which he does, and he says, oh, it is better. Uh, but I, I don't like how you did it. Right. I don't mind what you did, <laughs> but I do mind how you did it. Yeah. Um, setting up that they have sort of a 
conflicted relationship with each other. Although but that, they become friends. Yeah. They work it out. They do. But they do have out. different styles. I mean, throughout the movie, there's sort of a conflict in how much they want to push, you know, the witnesses mm-hmm. that they're interviewing. And also in terms of when they feel comfortable enough with, do they have enough evidence to actually write a story? And, you know, yeah, Bernstein right. is always like, well, we can do this. We have enough. And Woodward We're is like, eh, I don't know if we have it right. yet. Bernstein's also the one more likely to do something sketchy. a little bit sketchy <laughs> to get somebody to talk. Uh, whereas Woodward is more like, you know, we have to do it by the book Finesse sort it. of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, they progress. <laughs> They've, uh, Deep Throat shows up out of basically nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, well, I, well they oh, make no, no. It Woodward sound... calls him. Right. Yeah. Woodward and he does says, knock it off. I'm not talking to you. It hangs up. And then he gets an anonymous letter. Well, not Is anonymous. Is it tucked into his newspaper? Tucked into his yeah. newspaper. And it says, when you want to talk to me, put a red flag in your potted plant. And when I want to talk to you, I'll put a note in your newspaper. And then we see them go meet. Which isn't exactly what happened. So initially, I believe, yeah, he does put a note in his newspaper. They they discussed how best to for him to signal, and it just so happened he had a red flag that he got at a party or something. <laughs> that, As that you some do. girl had stuck in a pot, and he said, well, I'll just move that out. Because <laughs> what originally Deep Throat wanted him to do was to close his curtains and mm. just keep the curtains closed and then open them when he wanted to meet. And Woodward is like, but I like to have the sun come into my apartment sometimes. <laughs> Not a creep. <laughs> so they settle on the red flag, uh, and he could never figure out how... Uh, Deep Throat got to his newspaper because he would like circle specific things to signify what time they were going to meet oh. and where they yeah. were going to meet and such. Um, yeah, so Deep Throat shows up. He says, I'm not going to tell you anything, but I will tell you, I will signify whether you're on the right track. And he kind of right. sticks to that all, all the Almost way to, to the, the end. end. Yeah. Um, he never actually gives them any information. He just confirms what they think is true is true yeah that's right and he's always really creepy underground yeah he's a smoking man yeah um what else significant (laughs) happens well i mean tons of stuff yeah (laughs) the problem with the movie is that and the problem with watergate in general as a crime to investigate was that it wasn't just the break-in that was that was the one thing it was realizing how much other corruption that the break-in was covering up so there's so much that they're investigating and overlaps and they don't know where this is eventually leading Mm -hmm. they just know that it's higher up than they're able to go and that's why it's hard to follow even as a movie like there's just so many crimes that were committed and how do you keep track of all of it because they they start to follow the money because deep throat says follow the money yeah (laughs) and they and they know the burglars got paid a bunch of money for the break-in and so they start working backwards from, well, how did they get paid? Who collected the money to pay them? How they found the out that the money out? came from the campaign to re-elect, to re-elect Nixon. And then they see there's a bunch of payments to the campaign from Mexican banks. And so then they're trying to puzzle out, well, how did who gave this money and who is it being paid out to that paid it out to the burglars? Right, but not just the burglars, because some people got really big payments Yeah, of, of tens of thousands of dollars. Just a general slush fund is what it ended up being. And I wrote down, what is it, why do we call it a slush fund? What's a slush fund? Is it know. for a slushy day instead of a rainy day? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe because it's a, just a bunch of stuff mixed together that you can't really trace back to its origin like a slushy <laughs> like, you know like when there's slush out on the street and it's like all the debris and yeah. the dirtiness and that kind of stuff i'm, I'm gonna go with that Listeners, it makes sense in my head. look it up and, uh, yeah. 
And I learned just before we started watching the movie, I was listening to a podcast. Well, actually, it was the bonus material that goes with a podcast that I'm going to recommend later because it was really good. Um, where he said that one of the reasons that Nixon's campaign had so much money was because they Nixon had there was a campaign finance law or campaign law that had lapsed like for one month and for during that month it was people could anonymously donate to campaigns and so for that one month they just dumped as much money into Nixon's campaign as they could mm. and that was part of the reason they had so much money yeah they had a crazy amount of money and 60, 60 million, million dollars like, wow yeah Ooh. I wish I had 60 million dollars <laughs> There was also, they uh, interviewed Segretti, and Segretti was the guy who did the rat fucking uh, mm-hmm. thing that he had, he's, he had done it in college, where basically they just messed with the other campaign, and so yeah. some of the things that they did, and he had been hired by a guy named Chapin, I don't know why I remember that, I think they were friends in college or something. Shipley. What was it? Shipley was, I thought, his friend as well. Oh, I may have the name wrong. No, Chapin was the guy I think he went to school with, but I think Shipley was one of the attorneys that was part of that as well i mean both those names are in the movie but i couldn't tell you who they are <laughs> so he he was recruited to do this you know can't mess with campaigns mess with democratic campaigns mm. um and some of the things that they would do would be like call a venue where where a candidate was going to speak and tell them that they had moved the time mm-hmm. so that when people showed up nothing was ready and they couldn't do their you know they couldn't have their uh, rally their rally or whatever it was i mean yeah. a lot of that Lately, in the last few months. Yep, there's been some in, some <laughs> similar stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, the Andrew Cuomo one was one that I remember recently mm-hmm. where... They sent they out the, the letter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, saying, you're going to have an apartment inspection election day. Make sure you're oh. thinking about staying at home. Oh, I was thinking of the... Accusing Nixon of being anti-Semitic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's that. But there was a there was a <laughs> thing that went out that said, but hey, that, but you the need to stay in your apartment that letter, day. That's a direct correlation to yeah. the Canuck letter that Nixon's, that the creep, I don't know, what what did they call it? it that the bad guys in this story <laughs> that were doing the campaign the messing. Campaign to reelect the president, I think it was? Well, that's the camp, that's the actual organization. Hmm. But the little creep. subset. Yeah, the people oh. doing all the bad stuff, you know, covertly. Yeah. One of the things they did was send a letter. Uh, but it was on somebody else's stationery. It was um, Muskie. Muskie. Nixon didn't want to run against Muskie. He wanted to run against McGovern. So they messed Muskie up by sending out this letter that implied that he hated French Canadians. <gasps> and that... Sacre that, bleu. <laughs> that resulted in Muskie going before, you know, TV cameras and di- disputing it, except that he was brought to tears by it and... You oh, didn't no. cry in in men did not cry on TV in 1972. Was there a strong French Canadian constituency <laughs> that is like a powerful voting bloc? Like why the most they... powerful secret cabal Such of a French weird Canadians? Thing to like slur about. It was the specific uh, state that he was from. There there was a strong French Canadian connection. Huh. I can't remember specifically what it was. So it mattered in this in that state, okay. or maybe it was the state he was. He got Howard Dean. He did one thing, and now yeah. he's done. They didn't talk about John Dean very much in that movie either. They didn't talk about a lot of people that were in Mark Felt. That were important. Well, John Mm -hmm. Dean was the guy that, he was basically the guy that flipped on Nixon. But they didn't really talk about that. Mm -hmm. I guess that must have come later after the end of the movie. Anyway, so they they did various things to mess up. That was what the money was spent on, basically, was to mess up Democrat 
the Democrats' campaigns, and then also, you know, they bugged the Democratic uh, com, com, campaign headquarters. Campaign headquarters, you know, so they could get the drop on that. Mm-hmm. But the implication was that this wasn't a new thing for this campaign; that it had been going on oh, for I, years. Oh, I, they did some stuff in the 1968 campaign yeah. that is very similar they just got caught this time right and they didn't even get caught for this particular thing no. it just was <laughs> so part of, of the net one of the other things that i i read the beginning of i didn't have enough time to read it all was a book about nixon himself and it starts mm. from the very beginning and in his very first campaign for congress he was he was sort of recruited to run against uh, uh the candidate from his same party because i think roosevelt i think it was fdr at the time he was proposing that the federal government should keep possession of certain lands that had like oil or Mm -hmm. or maybe it was offshore i can't remember specifically and so the oil people wanted a different candidate and Mm -hmm. so they uh, they convinced some people from nixon's town who called themselves the amateurs to get a new candidate the candidate turned out to be nixon and then nixon that campaign they they proceeded to imply that the guy he was running against was a communist supporter mm. heavily and he, this guy was very anti-communist and had actually proposed lots of different you know bills that were yeah, anti-communist bah, 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 bah. bills but yes, nixon he would to confuse you <laughs> right nixon succeeded and so he got that he got that spot that was his very first campaign mm. yeah so how accurate is futurama's depiction of nixon's <laughs> nixon? head <laughs> would you say having read that part I of that book know. i think it was pretty accurate of the older Nixon. <laughs> the general attitude. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. So Woodward and Bernstein investigate where the money came from. They find a they are struggling to find anyone who will go on the record to provide them information. They right. Everyone's keep... really scared. What they're trying to find out is who controlled the money at the top. Who is the yes. who who's giving the orders? Making right. the calls. So they have a list of all the employees of the committee to reelect the president, and they are basically just knocking on doors and saying Hey, what do you know about this thing? We heard there was a lot of sh- document shredding. Who was there when you shredded documents? Who was in charge of the tred- document shredding? All right, and almost every person slams the door in their face, but they do find the bookkeeper. Yeah. Who is the bookkeeper after Sloan. So there's a man named Sloan who is the bookkeeper during a lot of this stuff happening. And mm-hmm. they learn that, oh, and the new bookkeeper, the lady bookkeeper, mm-hmm. tells them that Sloan quit because his wife, because of all the bad stuff that was happening right. that he was that he knew about. And his wife said, you have to quit. I don't want you being involved in all this bad stuff. Yep. And then they, the new bookkeeper, who was very reticent to talk to them because she knew that, that they, in yeah. quotes, knew that she had, she knew a lot of stuff. Yeah, and that she was her. being watched and was in danger. But she did. She gives them enough information to keep the investigation right. going. I basically. mean, she's also upset because it's very clear that they're going to pin any potential wrongdoing on Sloan as sort of, you know, the fall guy. Right. Yeah. And she's like, you know, you there are it. other people who. <laughs> right. But Sloan's a decent guy. And if you yeah. can get Haldeman, she specifically yeah. says, if you can get Haldeman. No, uh, Mitchell. No, she says Haldeman. Haldeman. I, I don't what was John Mitchell was the advisor to the president yeah and he was like the head of the campaign right I thought she said if you can get Mitchell it would be beautiful because I don't think they get Haldeman's name until later hmm. I thought she said if you could get Haldeman it would be beautiful well, <laughs> let's keep look it up again <laughs> basically they get four names four of the five names of people who are the people who can sign off on giving the money out basically yeah uh, they get four of the names and it's Liddy 
Porter, Mitchell, or somebody else. Later they have Magruder when they oh, get the initials. Magruder is yeah. the other one. I almost um, said Magruber. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they get four names, but they know there's a fourth, there's a fifth one, and mm-hmm. they think it's Haldeman. And this is where they make their big mistake because they go and question Sloan about it, and they they say. If we were to write a story in which we named Haldeman as the fifth person, would you be okay with that? Yeah. And they also he say... He says, that I him, don't have a problem with yeah, it. Yeah, he says that he confirms that Haldeman is the guy, but they mistakenly believe that he has named Haldeman during the grand jury uh, inquiry. inquiry. Mm-hmm. And so, and then they also confirmed, you know, they had other sources. They had the FBI guy. And, and they had... Throat. And did Deep Throat mm-hmm. confirm Haldeman? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did he do that before or after they made the mistake? I think that was after. Before. No, because oh, they thought before? they had everybody. One yeah. of the guys that they have confirmed is somebody they basically, um, it's a guy on the end of a phone call and Bernstein. Somebody from Justice Yeah, how they refer to him. And Bernstein is uh, like, if, if Haldeman's the guy, don't hang up. I'm going to count, count to 10. Yeah, I'm going to count to 10. <laughs> if, he, if he's not the guy, hang up before I get to 10. If he is yeah. the guy. No, if he's, not, if, the if he's not the guy, hang up. Right. Otherwise, hang on. And he, yes. Well, he doesn't say, and hang on, because later, that's the confusion. Right. Yeah. The guy thinks he says, if he's not the guy, hang on. So they published the story thinking that they have confirmed, you know, their, what they have written. Mm-hmm. One of the pieces of information being that Sloan named Haldeman at the grand jury inquiry, which he did not do. And uh, fake news. After they write the newspaper article, Sloan goes with his lawyer to you know in front of news cameras and says, "I didn't say that. I did not. I did not confirm. I did not name Haldeman in the grand jury." Um, And then later they find out that he was never asked. And that was one of the because the conspiracy goes all the way to the top. That's right. And that was made uh, that was made pretty clear in the in the book that first they uh, there's a scene with Klein Dietst. Um, Kleindienst, who is the attorney general, I believe. Mm-hmm. He's the attorney general after somebody resigns. Is that Mitchell? Well, um, you can't even, I can't even no. begin to guess. But. Well, anyway, Kleindienst is the attorney general. He goes and says, we did this extreme, he goes on some talk show mm-hmm. and he says, we did this Laughing. extreme, <laughs> you know, investigation of everything that was going on and here's all this stuff that we did of course they didn't yeah yeah didn't do anything they did not do an investigation it was all you know it was all uh, just trying it was a ruse (laughs) they were just trying to trick people into thinking that watergate was going away and it didn't and it was nothing something we are very familiar with right now yeah that's right by the time this episode's released who knows who knows (laughs) yeah but it wasn't that they were wrong about haldeman they were wrong about who, the grand jury. Yeah, the grand jury part. Other than that, they were correct that he was the role they thought he was. Right. And part yes. of the reason that uh, Deep Throat, Deep Throat at some point says it, it's this operation touches everything. It touches the CIA, the FBI, the Justice Department, the executive, it's everything. And part of the reason that he says that is the reason that Sloan isn't asked mm-hmm. is because they are trying to, much like our senators right now are trying to avoid <laughs> asking their Supreme Court nominee certain questions. <laughs> for so fear that, of a bad answer. Yes, yeah. for fear of a bad answer or that he might perjure himself. They didn't ask Sloan specific questions because they knew the answers already mm-hmm. yeah. and they did not want that information to be exposed. Yeah. Right. And they'd be obligated to 
a love on it. Right. Would they? Well, <laughs> well. You, know, you know what's interesting? So from that podcast, which I will name later, or maybe I'll just <laughs> name the podcast name to it be now. named. There is a podcast called Slow Burn. I think it's about oh, yeah. eight episodes. Mm-hmm. And the second episode is about a man who was suspicious as soon as he heard. Uh, he's like was in charge of the bank. He's a senator. Sorry, not a man. <laughs> He's not a regular man. <laughs> He's a superman. He's a super senator man. Probably a Democrat, I'm guessing. Um, but he was like in charge of the banking committee or whatever. And when he saw that the burglars had five $100 bills in sequence, he was extremely suspicious of that. And he did start investigating. Mm-hmm. And he got all the way to the point of to where a bipartisan uh, group of senators just needed to vote to... I'm not sure if it, it wasn't indictments, I don't think, but they had gotten enough information. To do like a hearing. Right. And this was way early on. This was before Woodward mm-hmm. and Bernstein were doing their stuff. They had, you know, they had worked really hard on this. And uh, he interviews uh, a couple, a married couple that were both working on this uh, investigation with the banking committee. And they get up to the point of voting and somebody, somebody somehow... And as a bi- bipartisan uh, group of senators, they all vote no. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a very strong poss- or probability that there was a lot of corruption there that, you know. They oh, boy. Didn't... I assume <laughs> <Shocking>. so. <laughs> so, you know, the idea that it went through all the branches of government mm-hmm. is pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. a lot of the thing that they focus on, too, is... Um, that the public doesn't know what to think about this story. That mm-hmm. a lot of them don't aren't even familiar with the term Watergate. That, yeah, they say know, that at the end. Yeah. basically, their editors like nobody. Nobody cares nobody about cares. this, and yeah, so it, there's not a lot of political pressure coming from anywhere, and then mm-hmm. so that sort of makes the newspapers not sure if they should even focus on it because they're like, if nobody wants to read about this, why are we following this story? You know, the White House says there's nothing there. We don't really have anything. Yeah. So. The other newspapers are not reporting on this. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's right. That's not, that isn't even entirely true, though, because as we saw in Mark Felt, Mark Felt went and talked to his friend who worked for, I think it was New York Magazine. Oh, no, for Time Magazine. Was that Gary? What's his face? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Gary Because he's, he's the one who says that Nixon's going to be Time's person of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Where do we go from I mean, there? we're almost to the end, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, and, and then... They... You know, but so their editor, after the White House denies, you know, all the stuff and sort of calls them a bunch of liars because of their government the, the error, mistake, yeah. you know, the editor side's like, we're just going to stand by them. Yeah. They, instead of retracting anything, which they, is good. And they go and talk to Deep Throat and ask, uh, Woodward says, hey, I need to hear from you straight. Like, did we get this wrong? What was going on? And I think he says no like you're on the right track basically he 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 finally just says like i need everything i need you not to like give me you know riddles anymore just tell me everything you know (laughs) and everything i should know right and then he says take out your he starts talking then he says take out your notepad because there's a lot more yeah and And then that's when he reveals like Holman is the guy yeah and that this is about more than just the break-in and the campaign finance like violations it's about all (laughs) all kinds of stuff and everybody is involved um, and at some point during the end here, it's implied that Woodward and Bernstein are being followed. Everybody starts looking over their shoulder. Deep and, throat tells them that. And then they go talk to Bradley. Yeah. Yeah. And basically, and your rooms are bugged and be really careful. Um, and then it basically ends. They, Nixon is elected and they're still working on the story. Yep. 
The end. And then you see them, you see They're a old. typewriter typing <laughs> the big <laughs> events that occurred up until the point that Nixon resigned. Yeah, that's right. It's the Which um, were eerily similar to a lot of current headlines, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but only some people are resigning. <laughs> no, now. no, but I mean in terms of no, plea because, deals yeah, and what through, they were pleading to. There was a whole like slew of people pleading guilty pleading guilty to various crimes one after like the other lying to the fbi and yep. obstructing yeah. justice and finance cover-ups all the fun stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> the end yeah or is it yeah <laughs> <laughs> well you guys want to talk about mark felt the other movie we watched sure i think with mark felt you know it covers a lot of the same stuff it's mm-hmm. the same except timeline. from the FBI perspective, or at least from Mark Felt's from Mark Felt's perspective. <laughs> I that, mean, I that think hero of a man, Mark yeah, Felt. Yeah, we should definitely mention that the movie is based on the book he wrote. Mm-hmm. So that, in my mind, taints a little bit of <laughs> well, the perspective of. Uh, if I remember his correctly, the time that that the time that that book was mm-hmm. written, he didn't really participate. And here's here's mm-hmm. why I say that. I think it was written in like 2000 and something, right? It had to be written after he... Because 05 is when he came public. Right. Mm-hmm. And by the time he came became public with it, his mind was pretty much mm. gone. Okay. Um, mm. If you, at least according to the Woodward book about okay. their relationship. Okay. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah. So it, sort of. he didn't really write that book because he could barely remember anything. There's a lot of, uh, towards the end of the, the Woodward book, he talks about going and visiting him and he just... He remembers Woodward, but he doesn't remember John Dean. He doesn't remember mm. John Mitchell. He just, he doesn't remember any of the figures. He doesn't remember anything, you know, because he mm-hmm. has, I can't remember which of the deteriorating mm. uh, things, Alzheimer's dementia. the things that I'm suffering from today <laughs> um, or <laughs> early onset mm-hmm. memory loss or whatever. Mm-hmm. In all likelihood, my guess is that when he did come forward, it was because his daughter who really encouraged him to do that and was probably the more of the driver behind it because he was like in his 90s by then yeah and the way that that happened was that woodward i mean a lot of reporters he was people always thought he could potentially have been deep throat there were Mm -hmm. lots of Mm -hmm. different theories some people thought it was a conglomeration of people Mm -hmm. other people thought it was this guy or that guy and he was always on the list of guys that that it could potentially be um and so reporters were frequently going to see him and at some point in time, Bob Woodward goes to see him. And his uh, Mark Felt's daughter, Joan Felt, go, uh, is talking to her son, either her son or maybe they know somebody who works at Vanity Fair, like okay. socially. And she says, yeah, lots of reporters come to see my dad. In fact, there was this one reporter who came. And he was, His name was Bob Woodward. And the guy that she's talking to says, well, Bob Woodward knows who Deep Throat is. And so she's, that's, she starts to go, oh, I think my dad might be <laughs> deep throat. And so she confronts him about it. Eventually he says, yes, I am deep throat or I was deep throat. Oh, okay. Um, and then he does that interview. With yes, Vanity with Fair. Vanity Fair. Okay. But even that, I, I, based on Bob Woodward's description of how functional his memory was at that point in time, I don't even know how he could do an interview and provide a whole lot of information mm-hmm. about it. So I feel like he had to have some assistance there. Okay. So it's about Liam Neeson. <laughs> He's a big, strong guy who works for the FBI and he will he never does no wrong. He's yeah, he's the most moral, ethical 
and he is yeah. very upset by the dirty scoundrels he works with and who work around him and the fbi has cleaned up its act so here's the weird forever. thing about that yeah. so mark felt was deep throat but he is also the guy who was behind the surveillance of um the weather underground the weather underground and martin luther king but he feels and... very conflicted they're upfront about that in the movie <laughs> he doesn't like how they've done that uh well he was indicted for it yeah he had to be part pardoned. reagan pardoned him for it yeah but it may be his daughter's in it or maybe not the end <laughs> yeah Ugh, yeah it's a little yucky well it was yeah. it was really movie. interesting because in all the president's men deep throat is a part of it but he's not really a huge part of it you know mm-hmm. it's mostly their and he's a investigative fellow skills, in all the president's men but like in mark felt <laughs> he is everything like woodward and bernstein don't know anything and they're Marsh, not even yeah. like thinking about writing a story until he comes to them and like tells them what to look into and tells them to write this story and uh-huh. like he really is the entire agency of He's the media playing like, the whole chessboard yeah, and keeping know, everybody on their it, toes ah, why isn't anybody like looking into this you know and he just mm-hmm. really has to organize everything it's the t- fbi was great till i till they they got here so yeah interesting yeah juxtaposition there one of the things i did not like about mark felt was that if i hadn't read a bunch of the stuff that i read I, some of the times i don't think i would have known what they were talking about because they were always very mm-hmm. uh, the the dialogue uh, like there's a scene where his wife comes he's in his daughter's bedroom his daughter who has run away yeah. which we know because they've sort of talked around the fact that she ran away right and maybe she's but they don't want to look into it because maybe I mean, she's joined a bad it was, crew it was a pretty well like directed i think sort of way of passing that information on to the public you know because he's opening his daughter's possessions and you can see that she has sort of um this pamphlet in there that's anti-fbi mm-hmm. sort of stuff so you're sort of like okay i get like right. i can see that like she's not there on her wall. she's of college age okay right. this makes sense my issue isn't that that happened in one scene it's that the whole movie's like that, mm-hmm. where they never directly talk about anything. Like, there's a scene where his where he comes home after he doesn't get the FBI... Uh, Promotion. Yeah, he doesn't become <laughs> the head of the FBI. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, Hoover died. Hoover They're going to make me king FBI, but I didn't get it. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's been working for Hoover. He loved Hoover, by the way. It was just a well, who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> he loved Hoover, and he expected to get that job. And instead, because of all the corruption, Nixon appoints his guy because he doesn't want to i mean it would be like our current president appointing let's say a jeff sessions with the idea that jeff sessions is his bud mm-hmm. i mean that's exactly what he did do that is what <laughs> and he it's did. like that yes that is, yeah, that's what nixon did and as well like except for nixon it worked out a little better because his guy actually did Didn't what he wanted himself. right yeah. uh-huh. um so that you know mark felt comes home he's all dejected and his wife who gives this little speech about Wife character is bizarre in this movie. Yeah, his wife gives a speech about how she's basically given up her whole life for his career and then he doesn't get to be head of the FBI. Yeah, what a dick. But she also says, you know why it happened. It happened to you because you have the same enemies that Hoover had. But she doesn't ever say who the enemies are. Well, I think... Just general. Yeah, just in general, like... Nobody likes you. She meant Nixon. (laughs) Well, they, they make it pretty clear at the beginning of the movie that every administration has had an issue with, with Hoover, Hoover. Um, and have all wanted to replace him, yeah. which was really like mm-hmm. such an interesting discussion where at the beginning of the movie, they're sort of trying to convince Mark to talk to Hoover about <laughs> resigning or like stepping down so they can nominate someone. And he sort of backhandedly blackmails them into not <laughs> replacing <laughs> Hoover. And then Hoover dies. And I was like, 
are they implying that Nixon killed Hoover? <laughs> like, what was that? It was like a really like jarring. <laughs> that also to the next. I, I saw, it kind of overlaps with Bradley's speech. Uh, that one speech, his one speech that he gives, yeah. where he talks about the fact that he wrote an article. Oh yeah, saying all the presidents. We should replace Hoover with, and I guess he proposed some candidate. Yeah. yeah. And then Nixon goes, "I hate Bradley. Hoover's here for life." Yeah. Yeah. I. There's a thing in this movie that I'm going to throw out my theory. This is Jacob's <laughs> theory here for movies where maybe 10 years ago, you could do a movie about the CIA or the FBI and just have it be like a rip roaring spy movie or even like a, a thriller and just kind of play it for fun. And I feel like because the culture has shifted a little bit, they try and walk this tightrope where it's like, he's a really good fbi agent and he truly believes in everything the fbi's done but because he's also meant to be the protagonist the movie has to kind of tiptoe around like well what did he do with the fbi prior to the events of him being a good guy yeah what was he involved in because they can't they want to have him be a good guy who's standing up for america and our values but at the same time if they tried to do a deep dive into like well what did you do five years ago they would have to have him confront or explain away some of his well, bad behavior. Starting from where the movie starts, he's a great right. guy. He's a great guy. <laughs> you don't and look then, any farther and, back. And the way they handle that is to have Tom Sizemore be the other FBI yeah. agent. He's like, you stink, although we did really need you. You were like, you did some good stuff back in the battle days, but those days are over as of 1972. Yeah, but Nixon really wants <sighs> that guy back in right. to like do those things again. Uh, I think, and you don't, and it's not just this movie. It's like any movie in the last couple of years with a CIA agent or an FBI agent. They have to be like, he's a good guy and he's very conflicted about the bad stuff that happened as recently as four years ago. <laughs> as recently as like right before Hoover died. Right. And we already, we know he's been there for 30 years. Yeah. But, and then ironically, it's all that stuff that went on that sort of made the current director of the FBI testify then right or, <laughs> or to put it another way sort of broke even in this movie where mark felt is meant to be a really good guy who stands up for everything that's right the beginning of the movie starts with him saying well everything that happened in the past with martin luther king was bad and i'm distancing myself with it and at the other end of the movie he's indicted for crimes Right, but in yeah. the nice two-hour period, he's a really great stand-up guy who can do no wrong, and everybody likes him. Well, no, and he even talks maybe... about, like, he's so moral that he won't even use the resources of the FBI to find his missing daughter. Mm -hmm. you know? Except I think he does. Except he definitely does <laughs> he later. Does. But, the, <laughs> the movie. but that is, like, the movie has to try and split the difference there. And I think you see it in, in everything right now, yeah. where it's like, well, we all agree the FBI and the CIA has done a lot of horrible stuff really recently and we'll probably do horrible stuff in the future but boy wouldn't it be great if they really got some good if they really stuck up for america right now if we just got them to do the right thing for a little period of time they'll be great james comey yeah i mean and it's kind of sad that characters can't be nuanced that way yeah right. in no that's right movies or real life <laughs> <laughs> right. they sort of have to be flawless <laughs> to support them yeah or yeah. that yeah, that movie missed some opportunities. It it also didn't feel like a uh, like it was taking place in the seventies. No, I, because if it had take if if it had felt really strongly like it was in the seventies, and you had an FBI agent doing uh, iffy stuff 
because he loves America so much, that would be more consistent with how Americans felt at that time. They weren't, a lot of Americans were not really against the idea of surveilling the weather underground. Right. That wasn't like a bad thing that they were doing. They would totally have been behind that. And, and we know now that because they did that, because they surveilled them illegally, that's why the weather underground is just free to walk around. That's why Bill Ayers is a professor instead of in prison. Right. Yeah, that the I would also yeah, this movie really doesn't feel like the seventies, which is weird. I mean, I don't know. There were payphones. That's true. <laughs> a lot like very prominent. There were diners where they ate pie and drank coffee eat and pie met, at diners. met surreptitiously. But if you compared it to the look of a movie that was actually made in the seventies, we didn't see that. <laughs> Maybe part of it was because they were all FBI agents, so they yeah. weren't yeah. dressed in seventies no. clothes. They were all dressed in suits and ties Gray like the suits. burglars. In. Well, and they were all actors we're very familiar with. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of hard to separate Josh Lucas and Tony Goldwyn from Yeah you know, being who they are now. Well, and also many of them were non-Americans doing bad yes. accents or <laughs> not even trying. I don't think they were trying. even trying. Yeah. Liam Neeson, that old American fellow. <laughs> yeah. But he, one thing I'll say about Liam Neeson is he does look a lot like Mark Felt. Yeah. yeah, sure. But he I doesn't, mean, I assume, doesn't sound like Mark no, Felt. I also want to say just in general, I thought the movie was fairly easy to follow and like an interesting watch. Like I wasn't bored. And no, it, was you know, okay. it was like, it's an entertaining movie. I, I kept wanting it to be more dramatic. It was, yeah. to me, it was just a little underplayed. And the music was a really irritating at times because it was this, <laughs> it was kind of, kind of like a clock a lot of the time. <laughs> only a clock only works if you built up a lot of attention, <laughs> a lot of tension, but there wasn't that much tension. So it was just like this irritating sound. No, I think it would have been sort of more, and I don't know, maybe this just isn't historically accurate, but it would have been a little more interesting if there was a lot more um, sort of tension built on, is he going to get caught for being deep? Right. I was going to say, there's, there's very little, he seems like he's on top of it. He's yeah. way ahead of everybody. And it almost feels like they did know it was him, but they were afraid to name it as him because if he left, he would burn the whole place down on his way yeah. out because he had everybody's secrets. But like, he definitely did that anyway. So <laughs> right, that was the part. Is like there's very. It seemed very unlikely that he was going to get in trouble for any of this. I mean, at I don't one know, point, I don't know if they made this very clear or not. But Mark Felt actually did various things, took various actions as the second in command of the FBI to make it look like he couldn't possibly be deep throat. Like, mm. yeah, like uh, okaying investigations into who's deep throat or what. Uh, okay. I mean, they sort of had that one scene where he was like. He was blinging. He was pointing yeah. the finger he was at like, some other guy. So yeah. everybody says it's you. I know it's not, but definitely we're going to support an investigation <laughs> into everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was pretty good at that. I don't know. There was um, the part Thanks at the end of the movie after you know Nixon has resigned and it's all come down and um, Mark is testifying in front of the grand jury for a different like some civil rights. It was the weather yeah, underground. It's the weather, the weather underground because he was indicted for. Yeah, that. and he just like brings up. Like baitingly, that he's might I could be have deep, been throat. deep throat, and one of the like jurors asks him straight up, like, "Are you deep throat?" And he just sort of smiles at the camera, and the movie ends. And I'm like, "But so did he lie to the grand jury, or did they know all this time?" Like, I'm really curious yeah, about what that out. answer was. Is he, that a real thing that happened? He literally said he wasn't deep throat many times, but to the grand jury, did he? <laughs> like, did, did he, he perjure, perjure himself? I think, he or might. is that, or is that just like? you know artistic license in the movie that it just actually didn't come up i'm i'm pretty sure he did not tell the grand jury that he was deep throat i also Mm -hmm. like that noah wiley was billed pretty prominently at 
the beginning in the credits <laughs> and he has that like three minute scene and then that's the end of the movie yeah and i was like oh i really thought there was gonna be much more of the movie i was like oh no wiley's finally here and then end of movie yeah. the stuff with his daughter went nowhere and made no sense it was, to me it was i think it was there to one humanize him mm-hmm. didn't to work. <laughs> show why he was pursuing the weather ground like underground and like how conflicted he was about it because he yeah. you know wanted to catch them but he also didn't want to catch them if his daughter's involved because he's such a good father and it was yeah, it was really just... really a weird and the way it's resolved is like there she is she's, she's fine she's fine she's <laughs> just good. a hippie now yeah i was like well that really is the just the the least conf- like conflict way you could deal with this but the majority of the movie up. is just him monologuing and giving these, you know, great mm-hmm. speech, you know, stirring <laughs> sort of this speeches to people. This is not what the people. FBI stands it's for. It's like if, if Aaron Sorkin had just written President Bartlett <laughs> as an FBI agent. Yeah, <laughs> this right. would be. It was not at the level of an Aaron. No, Sorkin. no, but in terms of like who who's always right and always has the like correct way of saying things yeah. to people and being motivational and being moralistic, like mm-hmm. it was that sort of grandiose. Right. Yeah, it was supposed to be patriotic. Yeah. Um, I, I think maybe one of the problems with this movie is that the guy who directed it, who also wrote it, this was like his fourth movie, so he's not like a huge a, a pile of experience behind his movie well, making. four movies. Is that a lot? That's probably, I mean, that's more <laughs> than more some than people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've seen better movies from first time directors. Yeah. I watched yeah, Hereditary just... last night. That was the first time. Yeah. Was that a first time movie? Yeah. Pretty good for first time. I mean, yeah. Get Out was pretty good for... Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Well, yeah. well second movie. Well, no, I guess not first time first direct. Directing. The Babadook was pretty good. Yeah. We've watched some movies for this podcast that were first time directors that were pretty good. Yeah. And this was not good. No. But it had so many good people in it. Like, yeah. every character who came on screen, I was like, oh, it's that guy. Well, oh, it's that guy. I was kind of vaguely doing that with uh, All the President's Men because every actor in there was somebody that you that has, <laughs> yeah. like, 200 credits on TV in the 70s. Um, some of them pretty big names at the time. But it's been such a long time. I could just, I just look at their faces and it's like, I've seen that guy. Who is that? What I found interesting in both movies was um, how neither of them really talked about the Saturday Night Massacre, which mm. I'm not like, sure it, we got to that point. In, oh, we did in we Mark did. Felt. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think we got to that point in. Uh, I mean, eventually, Ad Nixon steps down. So, like, we haven't got to it now. It's in relevant. real life. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, as of today, if the whole thing that eventually, like, he's actually impeached on is the obstruction, you would think. One of those up. movies might have talked about <laughs> how far the obstruction went, and Except neither of them neither of them was did. about Nixon. It wasn't really Nixon's about Nixon's not Watergate. even in either of the movies, which I right. think is is interesting. He's on TV in both of them. Yeah, he is. <laughs> oh, one of the people um, that was on TV in the Mark Felt movie, but did not was not featured in the uh, All the President's Men. Although you heard Johnny Carson in the background at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, Dick, Dick Cavett, who was a talk show host, mm-hmm. he was another person who early on, like from the burglary on, was all over the Watergate. Watergate? Yeah. So oh. he he was having guests on. He had... Uh, Is he the Rachel Maddow of their time? Well, he wasn't a newsman, though. That was the weird part about <laughs> it. He did, you know, he interviewed people, but more like, I don't know. more Like, like John like Oliver? A, yeah, more yeah, like a, he was. Yeah, he was kind of he a was more kind of a Borat figure. <laughs> he was a funny guy, and he did interviews. And right after the uh, burglary, he had Ted Kennedy on, and they talked about it. Hmm. And then he proceeded to he got like hate mail because he kept 
having these <laughs> guests, he had John Dean and he had Gordon Liddy on mm-hmm. and he kept, you know, keeping Watergate. Watergate was really interesting to him. And so hmm. he just kept having people on and talking <laughs> about it and having, you know, his regular guests like Buddy Hackett and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but like right from the very start and he, people were like really sending him hate mail and stuff because he wouldn't just let it go but it should have been more relevant in the mark felt movie because so much of the undercurrent of that was how much the fbi was being hampered by the direction of the white house and that's relevant to the same with the justice department you know how much the white house was sticking their fingers in there and trying to Mm -hmm. get everybody to do it their way I like seeing Michael C. Hall and stuff. He should yeah. be in everything. Oh, yeah. I almost forgot he was in it. He's, though. He's, he's disappeared. <laughs> but I'm like, wow, that he should be in everything. <laughs> he's great. Yeah, everybody in all is good. good. But he's especially good, and he doesn't get to be yeah. in much stuff. Yeah. I mean, the people that were in it were good. The I just think the script lacked something. Yeah. Or the direction it's or something. Stinky. It was like a, it just Boring. didn't quite reach the level of mm-hmm. excitement that it needed. I think oh. it's because it, in terms of... It's a boring story. An antagonist, it's sort of a little nebulous. It's like the system. Generally. <laughs> and guess what? It kind of sort of got taken down yeah. in an abstract sense well, also, by other things. It's a little anticlimactic because he's pushing back and he's pushing back and then he retires. Ha <laughs> <laughs> like, gotcha. You know, you think he's there to like sort of be this dam against the pressure That's how of the, the last White House. Jedi ends. And then yeah, it's like <laughs> and you're like, okay, well as long as Mark Felt's in office, at least he can like keep being deep throat and like supplying them with the information and doing his own investigation and then got my daughter. <laughs> here's here's my plaque. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Mm, don't yeah. watch it. Don't go see that movie. Yeah, I think Mark Mark Felt is a pass. Just watch all the presidents men twice like I did. <laughs> you that's should definitely watch all the presidents men, but it's fun. It's a fun movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's exciting. I uh, but before I wrote, watched it the first time, I looked at the IMDb trivia for it. Nothing there. There is a thing about how Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford memorized each other's lines yeah. so they could practice interrupting each other. Oh, really? That's but awesome. But I didn't like. Then watching it, I was like, I don't they know. didn't really. I don't see anything special here. Maybe the director didn't like it, and they oh, yeah, <laughs> reshot the scenes. But it's a great movie. I think it's super fun. Well, here's a couple of things. So before Bob Woodward and Ber- before Woodward and Bernstein wrote all the President's Men, mm-hmm. Robert Redford approached mm-hmm. them about because he was fascinated by their reporting on the Watergate story, mm-hmm. and so he went and met with Bernstein, I believe. I can't remember if it was. I think it was Bernstein. He met with him and said, you know, and Bernstein's like, well, we are thinking about writing this. We're going to write this book, and we're thinking about doing it from the perspective of the burglars and Robert. Redford said, well, I want to do a movie, but I don't want to do that movie. I want yeah. to do a movie about your guys' reporting, mm-hmm. which influenced the book then. Hmm. Made it more cinematic, I assume? Well, it changed the... I mean, it was from the perspective of... Not from the crimes that were committed, but the reporting, the procedure mm. of reporting it, what that was. The other thing is, you know how they were in the post? Mm-hmm. That was a reproduction, and apparently they went to the they went to the Washington Post and asked to be able to film there, and they said, "Sure, but we need to have this space, so can you can this? you can come here like from two a.m. to six a.m." Hmm. And they said, mm, "We don't want to do that," so they just took pictures and recreated it. Just threw a bunch of desks in the room. They they took pictures of everybody's desks. They actually got garbage from the Washington Post <laughs> to put into their trash cans. Huh. And they recreated it. That's interesting. Cool. I kept getting distracted by the posters on the wall because there were posters <laughs> all over the place. And they're all these I was weird posters. Trying to read what the 
printout that Woodward had at his desk said. It was some, like, motivational kind of quote. Well, why don't we even watch these? Because there's no relevance for today as of September <laughs> there is no 21st. Anymore. 22. 22. So by the time you hear this... The president will have already fired everyone. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> the Saturday Night Massacre. The Supreme Court will have eight members, nine members, 15 members. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows what world we'll live in? Things They're fielding to be... a football team now. <laughs> yeah. Who's going to be our attorney general by the time this episode is released? Good yeah. question. Uh, yeah. Rosenstein, will he be there? Could be. Maybe, Maybe not. Because just, it just came out yesterday that he talked about taping the president and or maybe he didn't that was maybe the he was joking. reporting yes right. <laughs> and I'll, i love that so the washington post reported that rod rosenstein new york times reported oh new york times yes the failing new york times they reported that rod rosenstein had talked about invoking the 25th amendment and recording the president secretly recording the president and then other sources investigated this claim because after that came out, then there was some pushback of, well, this is from an anonymous source, and doesn't this story give a lot of cover to a president who wants to fire Rod Rosenstein? Doesn't this give him a motive to do that? And so then there was some more investigating by other sort by other newspapers who then got other people to say, well, what he said was, oh, what do you want to do, record the president? Yeah. And I didn't say anything about the 25th Amendment ever. And well, and Rosenstein has come straight out and been like, I didn't say that. I was joking around. This is not a correct story. Right. And so now it's up in the air. New York Times has come out again and said, we stand by everything we said. Uh, so it's a lot of it's very hazy mm-hmm. about what happened and what for what purpose. It's also, you know, that old joke you guys you, you always make about like, why don't we just record the president Mm -hmm. (laughs) that joke everyone's making because he's a maniac that nobody likes well and then there's also omarosa who did record (laughs) the entire white house not joking (laughs) just walked around a little like pen recorder (laughs) she's inspector gadget or something yeah so we don't know if he'll still be there by the time this is released we don't know if we'll still be there yeah right (laughs) who knows what's going on i think i'm remembering this correctly this is just some trivia stuff about um and it has to do with the, the tapes that Nixon made. Nixon tapes? Uh, when t- Nixon was trying to... Oh, God, I can't remember the guy's name, of course. But when Nixon was trying to uh, not give them the tapes, one of his... Um, one of the things that he tried to do was to negotiate to have a senator, a Democratic senator, listen to the oh, tapes. Yeah. A very old man. I believe he plays the old man in the last movie we watched. Mm-hmm. Remember the old senator mm-hmm. who was always asleep and then he'd suddenly mm-hmm. vote nay mm-hmm. um he was the i believe he is the same senator that they tried to get to listen to the nixon tapes oh, that can't be right huh. that can't be right because he would be too old wouldn't he well that would work know. out better for them <laughs> yeah so he was hard of hearing and if you've heard the tapes whichever senator it was if you've heard the tapes um they are bad yeah they are bad really quality. rough yeah so if you have a hard of hearing guy, so what they were going to do is <laughs> so write, sneaky. They were going to type transcripts and have this guy listen to the tapes and confirm that the transcripts were accurate ah. rather than hand over the actual tapes. Cool. So it's like Kavanaugh hearing style mm-hmm. where it's like, well, we'll have a hearing. We're only going to have the two papers people that, there. Yeah, we'll and give also, you some of his we'll opinions. We'll only give you the but... papers that we 
think are, are irrelevant are not bad yeah. how do we how do we technically turn in our homework yeah don't worry don't worry about any of the things he wrote when he was you know advising not important Bush. Uh, irrelevant Mm-mm. so the other crazy thing about the tapes nixon's tapes was i think this is how they found out about the tapes so they had a transcript of something and they didn't know how the they didn't know how the Republicans could know something and have it in such detail. And this mm-hmm. was how they, st- and they, st- I'm not remember this, remembering this right. I mean, it was Butterfield who testified that there were tapes, but the way that they discovered there were tapes was by seeing how, how they were discussing things and how they couldn't possibly know things unless there were tapes, basically. Mm-hmm. And Nixon was the guy who said, we need to do this action. Basically, you shot himself in the foot. He's the his actions re- resulted in them finding out that the tapes existed, and then he didn't destroy the tapes. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds like now. I mean, that's that is yes. what's going on right now in our current administration is that they've made a lot of errors because they're dumb <laughs> that would have allowed them to get away with many of their crimes. And it's the same sort of denials, um, partisan wise, in terms of whether or not there's a story and whether or not there's a crime. And, the non-denials? Yeah. Well, and if you watch the pundits in, um, I can't remember if it's Mark Felt or all the president's men, doesn't matter. The pundits were saying, there's no evidence of any crime. What yeah. What are they talking about? Why do the media keep bringing up Watergate? You know, and it's yeah. the same. Well, there's no evidence because the people who are investigating it aren't telling you <laughs> every step of their investigation. You're not supposed to know about this stuff. And so it's really right. misleading to say, well, where's the evidence when it's, where's the non-evidence? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just, it's not, you're not privy to it yeah. is different than it doesn't exist. And it's the same thing we're hearing now, which is, you know, all right, well, where's all the, where's all the connections to Russia and why haven't there we been... have five guilty yeah. please? <laughs> and it's the same thing, you know, they said like in, in Mark felt, they make a point that they're sort of, are implying that the FBI has found nothing connecting Nixon to mm-hmm. directing this. And, you know, they sort of say, like, we've talked to the FBI and they have assured us that there's, you know, no connection to Nixon in the same way that right. the Trump administration has said the same thing. Like, we've been assured by the FBI that They're Trump not... is not a target of the investigation. Yeah. And it's it's literally the same playbook. It just doesn't change. Right. Yeah, that's right. The other way that they are extremely sim- similar is that you've got these two presidents one more so than the other. I mean, Nixon didn't look like a bad guy. He looked like a regular politician, but mm-hmm. he was so, so everyone around him was committing crimes and, you know, pleading guilty. Mm-hmm. It's such a weird coincidence. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, well, Nixon, how can Nixon's a stand up guy? He just got duped into hiring all these terrible people who commit crimes all the time. I found it so interesting that in um, All the President's Men, the, uh, bookkeeper woman who was sort of apprehensive about talking to them was really sort of angry with them about questioning her and she kept talking about loyalty and Mm -hmm. have they ever heard of loyalty and that that's such a huge focus i think that was two different characters actually was that That the first lady who yelled at them Uh, and slams the door i mean she was she was reticent to talk to them but it seemed more like fear for the bookkeeper but she kept talking about like how she's loyal to the you know all the people that she knows and they wouldn't understand and it's like man that's such a like key part of you know this administration's keeps hammering on loyalty and like it doesn't really matter what the crime is are you loyal to you know the people you work for so again nothing's changing (laughs) i mean 
I hate to keep bringing it back to the Kavanaugh stuff in some ways because it's not exactly on point for this episode. But no, the but Kavanaugh is like in the, the shadow overhanging it. Every, and it's been going on for weeks now. But the thing that amazes me sometimes about Trump and the Kavanaugh hearings and, I don't know, the Me Too movement, all this stuff, is there is a cultural norm that is somewhat coming apart at the seams for a, in a good way that, like, if it's politics, it doesn't follow the same rules as any other workplace. Hmm. Like, if our if the my workplace was thinking about hiring someone, mm-hmm. and then bef- while they were deciding, they found out that there was a, that someone who at the workplace came forward and was like, "Oh yeah, that guy tried to rape me." They would not hire that person <laughs> until they had finished investigating. If the boss the found out that his six assistants were all committing embezzlement, there would not ever be a question as to whether like, yeah, but he probably didn't know. But there is no other workplace that is so populated by one one monogamous population. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I would say lawyers are feed right into that. But it is that same. But even lawyers who also will protect their own and do all the same crappy stuff or police or whatever, the, the limitations for politicians are like they're protected at an even greater thing where it's like well yes every single person who worked for him has now pled guilty to crimes but (laughs) in the same way that they protect them for political reasons they accuse the accusers of just bringing it up for political reasons right it's and you do still you definitely see that for people who bring sexual assault claims, mm-hmm. regardless of their career. Mm-hmm. But the way that plays out for politicians is very different. And I think it is because they're insulated from the consequences of their actions more. But I think that's changing. Yes, I, and I, I hope it does we'll change. We'll see come midterm time. <laughs> but it's like politicians and celebrities have an extra layer of well, maybe they did it, but I really like the work they've done mm-hmm. is basically the way that plays out. And haven't they gone through enough just dealing with the accusations? <laughs> right. Like, isn't that punishment enough? Haven't, yeah, haven't, haven't them having to put up with being asked these questions, isn't that like a punishment? Yeah. And although you would definitely see people protect their own in lots of other employment situations, it is generally not brushed, not presented as, well, this person's just bringing it up because they want to get they're getting something out of it i can't name what the thing they're getting out of it is but i'm sure it's something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah all the all the fame and fortune that every <laughs> yeah all these great things they get person has, who've, who's been assaulted who's has been ever. come forward all those millionaire yeah. assault victims that you can name we yeah. all just know i'm sure soros is secretly funding all of them mm-hmm. and yes and his and his pedophile rings that he and also for, funds for some reason no reason i can think of it reminded me that the, i believe the cinematographer for all the president's men also worked on a lot of woody allen movies oh, oh why does that make you think of that that's interesting <laughs> i don't see the connection he also has been in the news this week because his wife mm-hmm. uh didn't write a piece for she gave an I, interview i can't remember which which mm-hmm. was it it wasn't vanity fair was it it was no i think it was esquire maybe uh, it might have been esquire something yeah. like that she didn't actually write it she a friend of theirs wrote an article about sunyi's perspective on their courtship and her <laughs> sister and yeah. their and mia yes 
Just and you know what I didn't know? I did not know that Ronan Farrow is Mia Farrow's son. Ronan Farrow, who's doing incredible investigative journalism on the Me Too Yeah, right. It's Rosemary's baby. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. So that wasn't great. No. Yeah, Woody Allen's still out there. Yeah, and there's we have just had a sudden influx of people who have not been performing all of a sudden showing up uh, despite the fact that only a few months have passed since they weren't performing because they were legitimately accused of doing or and, admitted, and admitted. <laughs> yeah not, not even accused admitted to doing crimes admitted but and they're better now an apology question mark question mark and then just went to like live in their mansions for a while for nine months i guess yeah. And then he got bored, and so he was done. Louis C.K. We're talking about Louis C.K. <laughs> We're talking about Louis C.K. For now, so, by the time this well, episode's released, yeah. we're going to be no, talking about I'm sure it's no, not And anymore. Aziz Ansari as well. Yeah. Who, who, else, who, who else is in the penalty box but is on their way out? Woody Allen, I Woody assume. Woody Allen never was in the penalty box, really. No, I guess people yeah. don't want to work for him or uh-uh, something. He's still getting really big-name stars, and it's kind of frustrating. Yeah. Some of them have backed away from him. But some have not, not. But others have stood behind him. Yeah. Mel Gibson's already out. He was in and out oh, God, in like so a day. He he managed to avoid Me Too by being too early. Yeah. And so he got in and then out so quickly that he's just back out again. It's like a Roseanne Barr character. Mm-hmm. Well, she's still in for now. I thought she was out. No, she's out. Oh, she's out? Yeah. I mean, she's, her they, character's dead, right? Her character's dead. So yeah, the show goes on without her and they're renaming it The Connors. Good. <laughs> great yeah but i mean she's definitely still like talking she's yeah still uh, got a platform norm mcdonald was in <laughs> he's, he's still in though yeah. he hasn't quite i he don't I'm a, entirely he, sure he's why. given multiple apologies now and i think the last one did a little better than the first couple i have I gave not up heard on his apologies. you should give apologies up on from norm mcdonald because he had to get he got a lot of pushback was like netflix making him apologize probably well he apologized initially and it was a bad apology was a very yeah. bad and apology. then he apologized for his it bad like, apology you, you jerks just don't get yeah. my humor and <laughs> i mean he sucks don't watch this thing but still mm-hmm. we'll see by the time the next episode's out we can do a, a penalty box check-in <laughs> uh, otj miller's back out is right? he i think so what's he no mm. oh god I feel like he's in some stuff. No, because no, he didn't. He just like call in a bomb threat or something like that. Oh yeah. I don't think he. Yeah. He's got. Yeah. I think he was in the news for a bad. He's got other stuff for like. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll see. I mean, a lot of these things are also crimes. I mean, these are all crimes, right? Yeah. Even the Kavanaugh oh, stuff yeah. is oh, a yeah. crime. They're crimes. Yes. They're invested. They're trying to decide whether to even ask him about a crime he may have committed. <laughs> so- Right. So gross. Well, no, but I'm, I mean, the the huge snowball of things they're not bothering to ask him about. Yeah, I mean, is multiple like, crimes he this may is, have committed. This is the most, this is the one that is having the most emotional impact on Americans. And, and the voting base that they would like to maintain. Right, which I don't know. I think this is totally backfiring. Oh, I, yeah. I, everything they do, like they, they're being very indecisive and also decisive in all the wrong ways. Well, he... Also, was not a hugely popular no. nominee. Well, to because begin with. most Americans, the you know percentage-wise, we don't want him. But the thing <laughs> right. is that they honestly don't care because right. there it's sort of a calculated repercussion. Like who will you know stand who, up? Who will give us what we want? <laughs> and and also just in terms of how much this would swing the court and for how long. Um, there's only so many political you know ramifications that come back on you if gerrymandering is now legal because the supreme court 
no longer oh, yeah. takes those cases. Yep. Yeah. So, and it, it's, it's, it's it a calculated is. risk. And well, what but I also feel like they made a lot of errors that oh, has no, led definitely. them to this well, and then place. Just that I'm really blanking on his name, but the guy who accused um, uh, what's her name uh, Ford Ford of misremembering uh, the, who Wheeler. attacked her yeah, yeah all his nonsense. and he was saying and he just said oh i think it was this other guy who attacked her <laughs> yeah and, oh boy yeah and then sort of walked that back and but didn't walk back his accusation just said also, that it was bad that he named the person that, and gave out the personal information but it's very likely that he coordinated well also with, that came out a day after a washington post op-ed about well maybe she misremembers maybe there's another guy who looks yeah, like because him the, it's a it's probably a well, coordinated campaign apparently he was trolling her linkedin before she, before yeah. her right. identity was released. before yeah. her identity after identity was released but before he released all his stuff his stuff there was already an op-ed saying, well, maybe she's thinking of another person who looks like him. And then he ca- then Wheeler came out and said, let me back up the claim someone else made. Yeah. But th- <laughs> by accusing answered, someone at random. He hasn't answered any of the questions, which are, were you directed to look into this by people who were supporting the Kavanaugh campaign? And yeah. he won't because have to unless they, he exactly. is called to testify, That's which the they won't do because they don't want the Which answers. is such a huge issue. <laughs> like, right. Um, But I think some of this, like a lot of these are errors because what they could have done is pull him, put someone else in his place, and they missed their opportunity. They might still do it, but now they have paid already. They've already paid the price for him. I feel like... I mean, they're they're not doing they're not pushing Kavanaugh because they want Kavanaugh. They're pushing Kavanaugh because their don their donors want Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. I don't and think they that's really true. They really want Kavanaugh. I think that they can find six Kavanaugh's Nobody anywhere they want. Who Trump nominates would be good for the country for, right. on the Supreme Court, but Kavanaugh is particularly an egregious human being. I think they could not be on the court. I think they could find another goon who would vote all the same way as Kavanaugh would. The reason he was appealing to Trump is because he has a very strong stance that when the president does it, it's not a crime. And for all we know, the reason that he has that stance is so that he will be appealing to a president. (laughs) Correct. But I think that after the first allegation, early allegations, the non-assault allegations came up and a bunch of Republicans came out and said, we don't care or Mm -hmm. these are all false that's when they had already stuck their flag in the ground and Mm -hmm. some of them are not willing to back out and that's why they aren't going to pull his nomination yet i that's my theory is that some of the republicans would be happy to swap in someone else and other ones don't want to look weak and now they are stuck and that's why they're some of them are making one set of crazy accusations and the other set are making another because they've already some of them have already stuck their feet in the ground on him what's frustrating is that senators like flake who are very vocal on twitter about how much they oppose trump and his policies and what a bad person he is yeah we're resistance members won't actually stand up and vote (laughs) against these things and take any action even though they're not running for re-election and really would have no political blowback for departing no. from the party. But people would be mad at them. But, Their friends would but, be mad. Yeah. So it's really frustrating because, I don't know, hopefully this gets hot enough as a political topic that they feel enough pressure to vote their conscience. Same yeah. with Senator Collins, who has been very... Uh, what's a polite word? <laughs> um, Shitty. No, but just also just wrong-headed about yeah. this issue in that... 
you know, she'll make these sort of wishy-washy declarative statements like, well, this is important. And if a candidate felt this way, then I probably wouldn't support them. Mm -hmm. But I refuse to acknowledge all the evidence that they are this way (laughs) is present. And then people who are like, listen, we're your constituents. And if you don't oppose the nomination, we're going to support whoever runs against you. And she considers that. That's bribery. bribery. That's me. (laughs) As opposed to all the like actual contributions she gets her campaign and it's very rushing and i just don't understand like what's going on maine like (laughs) yeah one one problem with that campaign to uh, raise money to support her opponent is that those contributions come from all over so she can't look at the the but that's what i wonder in terms of maine's populace in general like is there not enough political pressure there i don't consider maine a super conservative state so i don't well, really know why she's not feeling there's more. N- there's no reason to assume that the buttloads of money she does get comes from Maine. No. <laughs> her, all That's of her right. money comes exactly. from out That's of state. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So Anyways. for her to not consider all those other large donor well, campaigns. Well, she considers it. She right. just, that's not right. meaningful that's, to her calculation so, here. It's just frustrating that she would then make these public declarations, which are sort of, in my mind, political cover for her right. ahead of time. Well, here's the other thing about that. So regular American citizens are donating to that campaign and they've raised like a million five hundred thousand dollars and they're Mm -hmm. they're still raising money Uh to support her opponent and not only should susan murkowski be looking at that but every republican should be looking at that and saying hmm that's a lot of money for just regular joe on the street to raise against a republican that looks like maybe there's some sort of movement going Mm. on where people are not really for us anymore yeah, I mean, that's why they are doing this whole song and dance with doing anything, because there's nothing that would stop the Republicans from saying, we're doing a vote tomorrow, and right. we're voting them in. But they ha- well, they are I trying mean, to... McConnell has almost all but said that anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he has. But the only reason they are going through this is they are trying to do as little work as possible to not get in trouble with their constituents. And it's not going to work, but that's why they're doing it. They want as little fodder for political... <laughs> commercials right. as possible but we, they're just generating more and more oh yeah and, more. and it's worse every day and they're getting closer and closer to the election uh did you happen to see that uh, the political ad i think his last name is gossard and he's a he's a republican i can't remember what state he's running in it's an awesome advertisement it's these people and they are all it, it, they go through i think there's six of them and they just you know say one after the other what you know if gossard really cared about whatever state this is mm-hmm. he would be doing this and that and that and they go through and there's like women and men and then when they get to the end they all say who they are and they're his siblings oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean i didn't see that commercial but i've read the article where they're like don't vote for our, the, our the commercial He's is a awesome because it it keeps that as it's a twist at the end <laughs> yeah. of the commercial after you listen to all these reasonable people talking about how best to you know for for their state and then if you've my seen his response blah, to blah, it. Blah, and he what, is my brother. What I found really interesting lately is how um, different a lot of the campaigning has been recently mm-hmm. and how much um, campaigns are taking advantage of non-traditional advertising mm-hmm. and that viral campaign videos are uh, yeah, like getting more traction because the media will then play it for them and they don't have to pay for the campaign spots. Right. Well, the other part of that is that people really aren't I don't, you know, people don't watch TV. No. And they don't yeah. read the newspaper. Well, the people that people they're trying to inspire 
to vote, you know, the people who don't normally turn out are the ones who use these different mediums. Right, right. Um, but that you reminded me, and I don't know who the candidate was either, but there was a great <laughs> buzz about a political ad where the whole thing was just from the perspective of the dog. That oh, I haven't owns. seen that. No, I haven't seen that. Really that sounds cute, awesome. Yeah. So some Democrat who was running, yeah, just had the dog talk about what a great, like, <laughs> he was an owner. And yeah. Did you see Gossard's response no, to that uh-uh. ad? It's He's like... I can't believe they would stoop to this level. You got to leave families out of this. This is what Stalin would have done. <laughs> Which is pretty cool. I'll admit that's awesome. That's a good response. But it was nice to, I mean, not that I need a reminder, but if you're going to watch these movies to get a reminder of how long these events took place, like mm-hmm. how long years from, you know, when Watergate initially happened to when the impeachment and the stepping down took place and because i think so many people think like a crime is obvious i've watched law and order Mm -hmm. (laughs) it takes you know an hour for the crime to be investigated and prosecuted and in real life it takes years for especially for how detailed it is and you know how much research there goes into it so i think people who keep saying like well you know trump's been in office for a year now or a year and a half and nothing's come of it and it's just sort of like that's not evidence of it's also not they're true. not being a crime well yes of course they're ignoring all the actual like well, guilty pleas but i think the last couple of months have felt very different yeah uh i think trump's administration's ability to get things done has slowed to a crawl for a while uh, i think they're doing things um, you know what's the number now? They've now they are they are up to like thirteen thousand children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is us not paying attention to the fact that we stopped that we stopped separating children at the border. Except now we've got thirteen thousand children and we lost fifteen hundred of them. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, it's the same thing that they talked about in Mark Felt that the reason it's so hard to keep track of is because there's so many details, and that's what they're trying to do purposefully. They're giving you so much stuff to focus on that you just can't it's just overwhelming i do think like the wall's not happening right now right that the, the push for that has slow they they it used to be trump would tweet hey why aren't all these senators voting for it and mm-hmm. his attention's a little divided right now some of the stuff that he wanted to do or get involved in has just fallen off the wayside now mm-hmm. he tweets about how mean everyone's to being to him and why won't anyone listen to me? Yeah, I miss when he was just tweeting about Kristen Stewart cheating on Robert Pattinson. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. When he was focusing on the real issues. Uh, I, I don't mean, know what's going to happen to that guy when he falls, when he tumbles, because he's care. not mentally stable. Don't well, care. <laughs> it, if he falls before he's out of office, that could be a problem. Well, I don't know if he's all there. I mean, they're already... No, we already have reporting of him saying something crazy he wants to do and people being like, nah. Yeah, and, and that's, I mean, that's a bigger threat is... No, that's terrifying. Not, um, Except also good. Yeah, whether or not Madison Kelly, like, he, they were keeping him, you know, from starting World War III and... I mean, they were, because he already said he wanted to attack. But now he's... He wanted to bomb Iran, and they yeah, were like, pushing. nah, we're just not going to do that. He, and then he forgot. Yeah. And, and they and published a book about it, and taking, he still like, forgot. They're taking paperwork off of his desk before he can, like, read it or yeah, sign yeah. it, and it's just terrifying. Yeah, because yeah, now we've got a bunch of generals and goons who run the country. Yeah, right. an Which actual is, yeah. shadow government. Yeah, yeah, not really a more of a shallow state. 
So that's where we're at as a, as a country. Yeah. Next episode, <laughs> we'll do an update on how things are from our bunker. <laughs> as we, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we can build a bunker. From our Walking Dead style bunker. <laughs> <laughs> Next episode, I will be complaining about this weird bite on my arm. Can what I... else is in the news lately? Oh, I went to a uh, panel on development, housing development, well, I guess architectural development in Seattle. And it was a very surprisingly large panel because a bunch of people canceled and then uncanceled. So it was Ooh. like a nine-person panel of, there was Charles Mudede from The Stranger. Mudid, I believe is how that's pronounced. Oh, I always oh. thought it was like Maude, but. <laughs> I, I pronounced it in the way I thought it was pronounced, which is also not how the. Did he not introduce himself? The There was a guy who introduced him who definitely did not pronounce it correctly. (laughs) (laughs) And he just let it go? He didn't... Yeah, he didn't correct him. Uh, He didn't introduce himself. Uh, There was a architect who owns an architecture firm who focused on passive houses and basically environmentally conscious building. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a developer who um, is like the only minority-owned development company, somebody from the city of Seattle, uh, an attorney, a real estate attorney, who works on a lot of stuff, somebody representing the international district and like a guy who owns another architecture. So no firm. women. No, there were many of them were women. Oh, okay. Uh, and several of them were people of color. Um, but All it right. was very interesting and surprisingly, I expected it might be kind of boring, but it was actually very lively. Not very promising <laughs> from my point mm-hmm. of view, the things they had to say, because it was a lot of argue. They were very feisty arguing over well, how do we build new development but maintain the, and they use a lot of euphemism, but basically the culture of the mm-hmm. place we're building. And that in itself is basically a euphemism for like, we don't want to be seen as gentrifying mm-hmm. these neighborhoods, but we're going to build a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they talked a lot about that and around that. Um, Charles, I'm going to say Mudede because I don't know how to pronounce his Pretty name. Pretty sure it's Mudid. Mudid? Charles Mudide. Mudid. <laughs> Uh, he was very funny and very active and angry, which he, was good. Does he write for The Stranger? Yes. He does. He writes for The Stranger. <laughs> his articles are that way as well. Yes. I love his articles. But he was the person I was most excited to see speak. I go back and forth speak. on them. Um, but he, you know, the real estate attorney was trying to be, everybody basically said one offensive thing. <laughs> through the course of this panel she got hers out of the way early and she i could tell she was trying not to but she basically said well when we do a development project in mercer island all the local people come all these rich white affluent people come and throw a big stink and we have mm-hmm. to make changes but when we go to a poor uh neighborhood neighborhood with a lot of african-american people they don't show up and so we don't get their feedback Uh, so isn't it their fault (laughs) and i think what she was trying to say was that they don't have the same access but she didn't say that and so he like just raked her over the coals appropriately being like that's bullshit and also this is all and he also said this is all bullshit because people have very little impact whether they show up or not in actually directing the Mm -hmm development Mm -hmm. so to try and juxtapose those two things is like well these people all show up 
and these people don't show up and these people make comments and these people don't. It's like, but none of them have very little control over what actually happens. So it's not like the people who don't show up end up that much worse off. Nobody can actually stop these developers from coming in. And all of this is being pushed or it's all being incentivized by an economic system that, uh, prioritizes development of these houses in this way Hmm. so like unless we can take a broader look at the way that developments are incentivized nobody will have any say because it's a money maker to just build and build and build and build um which i thought was interesting i thought that was a good point Uh, everybody had some good points and at least one offensive thing to say mostly about homeless people or how to deal with homeless Uh. people for some reason the one person's thing that they really liked in this Apparently, it's a proposal is where you build one tiny house mm-hmm. on a block. Yeah. They had a, they used a term for it that the audience didn't know, and so the moderator had explained blocking, block zoning or something. <laughs> Basically, they put a tiny house on the corner of a block of a plot of a of a na- like a whole, not a single house, plot of land, single plot of land, but like a block will have one tiny house put on the corner, and a homeless person or family will be placed there with the idea that it will improve the culture of the people who live on that block to see homeless people living near them. And therefore it will help generally Seattle feel better about homeless folks. And they're like, this is one great thing that we're doing and we've already got it going in two neighborhoods. And I was like, well, okay. And they're like, well, it's being proposed in 20 total neighborhoods. Uh, And some people were very surprisingly in favor of that. And I was like, that doesn't seem very effective as a solution to this massive I mean, I growing nice problem. I few people who can move into those homes. Yeah, I guess. I like the idea of building tiny homes. I sure. think they should probably build a lot of Didn't them. did some neighborhood just approve a whole like zone yeah. for them? And there yeah. was one of those in kind of the Fremonty area. Okay. Yeah, I mean, really, what the only way to solve this problem is to build lots of homes, right? Yeah, right. density. It's to give people places to live that is affordable. Yeah, it's just rezoning for density. But that's not a... Nobody wanted to do that. <laughs> like, that is not a... That was well, everybody not wants person. to do it, but not in their neighborhood. Everyone wants to do it, not in their neighborhood. And in that panel, everybody is in favor of it, but none of them work for businesses that are involved in that mm-hmm. because they are all involved in things that make money. Right. right. <laughs> nobody who does environmentally conscious buildings is interested in that. Or a real estate attorney, or mm-hmm. a big architecture firm, or develop like because nobody's mm-hmm. doing that because not doesn't it's not profitable, it's not as profitable. Yay. One guy, <laughs> the environmentally conscious developer, also tried to explain like the cost of building in Seattle is so expensive that even if I sold these buildings at cost, they would still cost too much for people to live there for like low income people. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but I, I was like, that's true either. okay, fair enough. <laughs> sure. That's not a solution, but I'll, if I take that as fact, that sucks, I guess. Yeah. Especially because I'm pretty sure that they get land subsidized Probably. when they purchase it, if they do it for that reason. But I, anyway. I assume so. I mean, somehow they're able to put one block on each city right. block. So I don't know. It was interesting, surprisingly lively, but like nobody had any good solutions for anything. Which is why we have so many homeless people. <laughs> and also many of them did not see, did not bring up any problems. Hmm. They had two or three rabble rousers on the panel and then everybody else just wanted to talk about whatever their pet project is. 
Oh, I did learn one. This is trivia that I thought was interesting. Okay. Uh, so the children's hospital that was just, well, that was built recently in Overlake. Okay. Just a couple of years ago. The neighborhood, the rich affluent neighborhood where this was being built uh, threw such a giant fit about the fact that the children's hospital has a helicopter pad on it and they didn't want noise pollution <sighs> that... Children who are flown for care at the children's hospital for emergency care can only be flown there if the hospital can put forth the argument that they would die if they were not flown oh to God. the UW and then driven the rest of the way. And as a result, they have to do a monthly report of who was flown, what they were sick with, and whether they survived or not. And you can go look up these reports that they put out. Isn't so the I went hospital and that up. right by a freeway anyway? Well, probably. Like what? But, <laughs> and it was like, this is such a crazy thing, but you can go look up, they do produce a monthly report of like, well, we flew six people and two of them had leukemia and only one of them died. So the helicopter rides were worth it. Jeez. Yeah. So that was crazy. Mm, and then people. Charles Mudaid said, you know, if you want to have any change done, in, like that is an insane thing. But if you want change done in Seattle, you can see that's effective being an insane person and throwing a giant fit all the time. So maybe try that if you want to see affordable housing bill. Hmm. Okay. It was Neat. interesting. I, I can share that report. <laughs> so what movies are we watching next time? Yeah. All right. So we're watching two movies. We're still sticking, 70s. It's the 70s. Okay. 1971. We're watching one mockumentary and one documentary. Hmm. So we're going to watch a movie from 1971 called Punishment Park. And it is sort of, I'm, I'm going to say sort of a sci-fi in a way. It um, supposes that the Nixon administration, in order to control protesters, mm-hmm. um, institutes a program where they are, they are hunted by, <laughs> they are hunted by the National Guard, I believe. <laughs> he enacts something to do with the McCarran uh, Security Act mm-hmm. and creates this program where they hunt protesters okay uh the other movie we're gonna watch doesn't sound too far-fetched now. <laughs> Interesting. right it's called 1971 it is it i believe it is about the break-in where somebody broke into the fbi and stole papers and that's what got the weather underground off because mm. they discovered that they were doing illegal surveillance mm. yeah. and um i put these two together because it's kind of about the um kind of about the mental attitude that people had at the time half the people were afraid and were willing to overlook uh, bad actions by the government Mm -hmm. in order to feel safer from all the crazy protesters um, and people like the weather underground and the black panthers and uh, civil rights activists Mm -hmm. yes like now like people Mm -hmm. equating black lives matter with violent aggressive activism which is yeah. not what they are people are very pro fbi and cia right now are they mm-hmm. well police state. Su- certain subsets of people yeah right. yes we're in a very similar a environment of, right now a lot of retweets uh, on my feed about from a top level cia and fbi folks being like trump stinks <laughs> <laughs> i know it i've seen good republicans he's not one yeah so that's what we're going to watch. These are two movies I don't know that much about. They're not like at the forefront of people's minds. Mm-mm. Not like... Punishment Park sounds interesting. Love yes. alliteration. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what was the cock? We had two cocktails. Uh, do we need to do plugs first? Sure. Sure. So I already plugged Slow Burn, but I'm going to plug it again. It's really mm-hmm. good. If you want, the thing that I really liked about it is it it provided details about what was going on during Watergate that were not the things that you automatically know. Like the first episode is about John Mitchell's wife. She was another one of the people who she practically blew the lid off of it, like right at the outset because she didn't like what her husband was involved in. And she was also, I think her name is Martha Mitchell. She was kind of famous. She was on talk shows a lot. She liked to talk and she talked about politics. Mm. And there was a point where she saw what was going on. Also, she was an alcoholic. And so she Mm. was talkative for that reason as well. But she was like talking to a reporter And she was talking about Watergate, and all of a sudden the line went dead, and she was essentially kidnapped for a couple days. Oh, I listened to that. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the first episode, talking about Martha Mitchell. And she was so famous that if you go on eBay, apparently, you can search for Martha Mitchell, and there's like, you know, stuff with her face on it that people (laughs) could buy. Because they, you know, she was just a popular figure in in the media at the time. (gasps) Whoa. (laughs) <laughs> Mimi. Mimi got excited. Um, so it's it's little trivial, tri- not trivial things, but things that are not, that kind of didn't, didn't get sustained in our national memory about Watergate. Mm-hmm. More like immersing you in what the people at that time actually were kind of knowing about. Okay. Uh, aside from that. And that was their first season. Yes, that was the first season. season. And I started listening to the second season. It's about uh, the Clinton impeachment proceedings. So let's Hmm. uh, see how that goes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just kind of refreshes your memory as to what actually happened. Like it starts with Monica Lewinsky being uh, taken in by the FBI, I believe, and them saying, you know, we want you to flip. And she doesn't. Hmm. That's the first episode. The other one that I listened to, I've listened to all of season one of... was it season one of Seen on Radio, which Jacob... Yeah, that was going to be my plug. <laughs> Jacob pointed me to, you want me to leave it for you? Sure. All right. You probably listened more than I have. I've like... listened to all of season one. I haven't started yeah. it on season two because it's not really for me the way that season one is. Season two is for you. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'll do a short plug and then maybe you can <laughs> add to it because you've listened to more than me. I, that's probably about it for me. Uh there's some really good TV shows on. <laughs> I'm really enjoying Lodge 49, which I may or may not have mentioned before. I think that's probably my favorite one. Hmm. And I finished watching Dietland, which was also very good. I didn't watch Dietland yet, although then I looked up Wikipedia about the book, and I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sounds really interesting. Too bad it got canceled. Yeah. Well, maybe it'll come back. You yeah. never know nowadays. Sometimes that's they true. come back. That's true. Do go on moveon.org. Get that back on. <laughs> Netflix has just money to burn, apparently. Uh, I'll do a quick plug because it was stolen from me <laughs> for a scene on radio. Uh, my friend recommended this to me. Is it the first season? I don't. I yes. started from where he recommended to start. Oh, you're right. There's when you, if you look at this, if you look at the list, there's something called the unknown season, and then there's <laughs> this season two is the uh, season about. Seeing white. Seeing white. So it is the season that I'm li- listening to. It is a podcast. It's done somewhat in the style of like a radio lab, like interviews and like interesting stuff. Um, but this season is a, I assume, older white guy 
I think he might be from N- from an NPR background. Yeah, it has that vibe where he's basically tracking the birth and growth of white supremacy in the United States. It's, it's more, it's, I would say in, it's the concept of whiteness, which is something that was created. And he comes at oh, it. and white supremacy, you're right. And he comes at it from the perspective mostly of, I don't know anything about this. And you can kind of feel him learning from mm. this process. And this was also from my friend who said, like, I listened to all this and it really changed my perspective on America and its history. <laughs> The um, thing that I and it's really good. The thing that I really like about it is I've had I you know it is that it's kind of for white people by yeah, white people. Is. So it is white people learning how they came to even have that label, right? Which hmm. is not what you th- not what white people think. So one of the and it's it's follows sort of history. You know, each episode is kind of like a little further forward. But like the last episode, and they're most of them are like 30 to 45 minutes. Last episode was about, it was interviewing a woman who was Native American yeah. in Wisconsin? That's Little War on, Minnesota? Is that Little War on little the Prairie? Little War on the Prairie. Basically learning about a historical event from her hometown where a bunch of Native Americans were killed in retaliation for... It's also his hometown. Oh, yes. In his hometown. The... the host I, that was a, a particularly poignant episode he's interviewing this woman who teaches in this small town she's a school teacher she didn't really know her the history of this town where i was like a treaty was broken the native american tribe in that area was mad they attacked the white settlers. they were starving they had the a treaty had been negotiated by someone who had previously been their friend and then he totally betrayed yeah them. He, they uh, and then it came to the point where they had nothing to eat. Maybe there was a drought or something. I don't yeah. remember what specifically caused it, but they basically were told to eat grass. Yeah. I mean, they were... A, so what? They were starving. So they attack, and then as a result, the white settlers kill, just kill mm. everybody, right? Like, it's a massacre. But the way that that is taught in that Wisconsin town is, well, the natives, the savage natives attacked the white settlers to betray them, and... We fought back justifiably and killed them all. Uh, and this was somebody who, a Native American woman and the host, who were both related, you know, had connection to that town, basically, like, didn't know about this. Mm. This has com- completely been removed from our history books. Right. Um, and each of the episodes is kind of like that. And the very first episode is about, like, well, where is the earliest point historically in America where, a de- where somebody was declared white? Hmm. And uh, that, that particular episode, I knew... I didn't know the history that was like all the slavery history from way back, like mm-hmm. the Greeks and whatnot. That was new to me because that, but uh, the book I read for the loving episode, loving uh, the threat to white supremacy, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. The whole first half of that book is a, is basically about that same uh, development of whiteness in America. How, how we got from people came here. Some of them were indentured servants. Some of them were, you know, and they, some mm-hmm. people were from here and there and they were identified by the place that they came from to the point where this is what it means. To, this is what a black person is. This is how we define that. This is what a white person, this is how we define that. Yeah. And it's the laws that were made from the 1600s up till, you know, not that long ago that defined the concept of whiteness it's really interesting. The second season that my mom was alluding to is about, I don't know, patriarchy in it's the U.S. Men. Yeah, it's called Men. Hmm. 
following sort of the same trajectory, I assume, but about right. and the, men being in control. I haven't started listening to that one because I I know I'm not I'm the target audience for a for a <laughs> for the whiteness for one. a <laughs> show about what it what is it what is whiteness where did it even come yeah. from how did we get here. Um, but I know that men is going to be the same thing, except mm-hmm. that's really for men. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it would be interesting to listen to. It's really good. I'm enjoying it. Uh, shout out to my white listeners. <laughs> Go listen to Seen on Radio. In the most non-racist way possible. And shout he, out. Every episode ends with him talking to his African-American friend, and they talk about what he sort yeah. of perceived. And at least the first few episodes is him going like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just figured that out, huh? Great. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my plug. It's great. Yeah, it is really good. Thanks, Brent, for plugging me into it. I'm plugging Thanks, it Brent. out to you. Um, mine are a little more lighthearted. <laughs> um, if you could get past the fact that Jeffrey Tambor is in it, um, Death of Stalin is like, a really, really funny, funny, funny dark and po- comedy. And political. Yes. <laughs> so just, you know, sort of, I don't think it was really well publicized. I don't know if a lot of people know about that movie, but mm-hmm. it was really funny. Um, and then also, uh, season two of American Vandal just came out. Um, and if you haven't watched season one, go back and watch season one. Yeah, watch season one. It's, you know, it's sort of a satire on making a murderer, murderer, (laughs) serial sort of criminal investigations. And it's really well done. Mm -hmm. And season two has a lot of like poop humor. So if that's not your thing, never mind, (laughs) skip it. But um, then you're not the audience for this <laughs> show. Not, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we need to do more poop <laughs> discussions. Um, but season two uh, fictionally takes place in Bellevue, Washington. <gasps> I didn't know so, that. So, oh, yeah, that's it's great. really yeah. great. And there's a lot of, I think, funny Bellevue references <laughs> in it that maybe are unintentional, but I caught um, either way. So, yeah, check out some funny stuff, guys. There's I will. Humor in the world. There is humor in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's not any inside me. <laughs> so. And all the new shows, yeah, all the, fall, all the shows have just started. Yeah. I'm very excited. My DVR is geared up, <laughs> ready to go, ready to record them all. So, yeah, I'm just watching Star Trek: The Next Generation. That's all I need. And Dragon Ball, <laughs> <laughs> like two things. That's there, and they're both two very uplifting shows, which is why and I long, watch them. Lots of yeah, episodes. every episode. Nobody is in. Nothing bad happens really. <laughs> <laughs> we have been watching a new. I don't know. It's not Samurai Gourmet, but it's it's called Midnight Diner. Oh, yeah. You guys are still watching that. Yeah. Good. It, uh, the first couple of episodes were really good, and then the third episode was like a little bit of a letdown, but then it's kind of swung back up again. Good. It's on it's very it's a Netflix show. It's Karen about a diner connected that's me to, only... <laughs> Connected me to it, and yeah. I connected you to it. Yeah. It's about a diner that's that opens at midnight, and the characters that go there, each one is focused on a separate like storyline like the last one we watched was sort of a love story mm-hmm. there's a storyline about a cab driver who just really loves her job and she, but she used to be a famous essentially a power ranger on tv mm-hmm. sentai huh All it's right. very very relaxing yeah it's one of those <laughs> very super relaxing sort of has a message I'm oh, like yeah. Samurai Gourmet did not have a message. Yeah, the Samurai Gourmet message is to stand up for yourself. Midnight Diner has a, has messages like about being proud of your work or mm-hmm. supporting people. Supporting your supporting... old, that old jerk you work for. Yeah. yeah. I can't imagine anyone who's the target demographic hasn't already heard of or seen it. But if you like John Hughes style movies to all the boys I've loved before on Netflix is mm-hmm. a really modern version of that style <laughs> and pleasant one is, yeah, yeah just it's just nice man to tune out sometimes and 
have something you have to think about while you're watching it. Mm-hmm. I heard it was very good, but I can't convince my family to watch it. Well, <laughs> take, not... take some time for yourself. Yeah, you can watch a movie by yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. But don't go with the Netflix recommendations after you've watched it. Yeah. Stay away from Kissing Booth. Stay away from <laughs> Sierra Burgess is a Loser. <laughs> like, there are some bad recommendations that come after you watch that. Uh, I know there's a new season of Chef's Table starting this month. <gasps> I just don't know when. And we just finished watching the latest season available of British Baking. Great, Great British, British, Bake British Bake Off. Yeah. Which was, I, there were things about it that I liked more. Uh, like, for example, we were never very fond of the two comedian ladies mm-hmm. because they were always telling bad puns. That's mostly what they did. <laughs> That's basically all they did. Uh, but this, they, Mary's gone, but she's been replaced by someone very similar. Sherry Berry. Yeah, I can't remember the new lady, but she's very similar. So it's not like there's a gap there. And then the comedians that they've replaced them with are just, they're so much milder and more appealing and pleasant. (laughs) And there's, uh, it's a man and a woman. It's an older woman Mm -hmm. who is kind of ubiquitous on British TV and a tall younger man who I guess is a famous person in Britain. I'm not that familiar with him. He looks... He looks and dresses like a seventies rocker rock star, like a like a he, I recognize some of the shows he was in, although I did not recognize him. He was in yeah. uh, Mighty Boosh, which is very popular. Some other anyway, stuff. They're just they're they're sweet as opposed to being abrasive, which is the <laughs> the previous couple was a little bit abrasive from yeah. time to time. Yeah, that's hmm. right. We can talk about the cocktails. All right. So I actually made three cocktails. I made, uh, because we took a little bit of extra time between these two episodes. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit longer of a break. Um, so I I started working on, sort of the inspiration was some of the terminology that was used during the Watergate, Watergate trial. So there was, a, they talked about deep six, which is them destroying papers. Uh, they deep sixed it, which is mm-hmm. a Navy term for just, for something being, I think, six fathoms down, which is basically irretrievable at that point. Hmm. Uh, smoking gun, which I believe refers to the tape on which Nixon is heard to say whatever the thing is that he said that is like, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a criminal. I am a crook. <laughs> yes. So that was the smoking gun tape. So I made a smoking gun. And then the other one is the Saturday Night Massacre. And the first drink that I worked on was the Saturday Night Massacre, I believe. Mm-hmm. Because that sounds like a great drink name. So my with that one, I decided to make it super strong because, yes. you know, it's Saturday mm-hmm. night. You're massacring it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so it has it has a really delicious strawberry, raspberry. I'm not going to call it a syrup. It's more like what you have. It's like more a like, puree. Yeah, it's more like jam without any fruit in it by the time you get mm, done with it. It's okay. made by mashing up strawberries and raspberries and sugar. And I think there's probably some lime juice in there and some water. And then you cook it and then you strain it. It tastes really good. It's awesome. Um, so there's that, and it's got some raspberry liqueur, and then it's got all the all the liquors from a Long Island iced tea. Mm. So it's got vodka, tequila, gin. <laughs> rum, and gin. Yeah. And then that's all topped off with champagne. I love me some bubbly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it because you know I I don't know how that works, but you pour all that alcohol in there, and it tastes good. <laughs> you're, you're so blitzed, you don't know. <laughs> it tastes great as far as you know. <laughs> yeah. So then the second one that I made was a deep six. And I've already posted deep six. I've already done a blog post for that. It's a bonus okay. drink. Um, and it has six ingredients. One of them is the syrup. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's got, I can't remember what the other five things are right now, actually. <laughs> Check out the post. Alcohol. <laughs> but I really wanted to make a smoking gun. And so then my next thing was to like experiment with how do you get smoke 
and I cheated. I got a machine. <laughs> I don't know how that's and they're cheating. not even that expensive. <laughs> well, there's ways of that's not how they show you do, show you doing. It. If you look online, how do I make a smoke smoked drink? Smoke Dry a cigarette and a blow it. it through a straw or something. Um, they like put a cigar under a big glass dome and. Uh, How's that not cheating? That's yeah. like cheating too. <laughs> cigar. So there's this little machine you can get that basically smokes the wood chips for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just it's got a little electric fan in it, and it's it draws the air through that, and then shoots it out through a little tube. So I got one of those, and I use cherry wood for my smoke. I mean, it's a pipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a pipe. It's a pipe that smokes the stuff for you. You don't you don't do it with your own. I suppose you could just. It does fill up the room, so you do it. <laughs> it's a it's a Smoking small it. device where you fill a little chamber a with little... something you'd like to smoke, and then it comes out of a pipe at the other end. <laughs> That's true, but you don't have to inhale anything. You I mean... don't have to inhale anything if you don't want. It's a vapor. It's a vape pen, basically. Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, it's used for the purpose of it is to like give things a smoky flavor. Yeah, that worked. Um. So I decided to make something sort of Manhattan-y with Mm it. Uh, It still uses the strawberry raspberry syrup. It's also got a little curacao and some sweet vermouth and a a slightly smoked whiskey. Mm -hmm. It's a specific brand of whiskey called Three Shores Smoked Whiskey, I think, something like that. Okay. And it has a very slight smoky taste to it. Barely there at all. And then um, I... I uh, finally found a single cube ice cube maker like that was actually designed that way because that's what you have to have if you want to make a hollow square cube. It has to be a single cube. It's a little bit bigger than the ones I did for medium cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I pour- that's because that was medium. Yes, yeah, that these was are large one. cool. <laughs> these are large cool. Um, so I put the smoke in there. Put the smoke in. Put push the smoke into the uh, ice cube and then add some whiskey to that. Yeah, and it's on top of the other ingredients and. I think it's kind of a mild drink, actually, but it does have a little smoky. It is, yeah, it was definitely smoky. Mine was smoky, too. Probably by accident, but... <laughs> yeah, because everything <laughs> in the house is now smoky from the machine. But... Yeah, it smelled good. All right. Yeah. I think we've done it. Next Thanks for sticking time, with us. watch Punishment, Punishment Park. Park. And 1971 is the name of the, other, of the documentary. It's from 2014. Do we have, like, a sign-off or anything? We don't... Oh, we say goodbye. Yeah. Normally we just say goodbye. Would you like to hear a sign-off? Let us know. <laughs> yeah, write us in with your best sign-offs. From this decade to yours. <laughs> I mean, because what I normally do, we say goodbye and then I tack some stuff on the end. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, well, let's do that. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. I have never been a quitter. To leave office before my term is completed is abhorrent to every instinct in my body. But as president, I must put the interests of America first. America needs a full-time president and a full-time Congress, particularly at this time with problems we face at home and abroad, to continue to fight through the months ahead for my personal vindication would almost totally absorb the time and attention of both the President and the Congress in a period when our entire focus should be on the great issues of peace abroad and prosperity without inflation at home. Therefore, I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. Vice President Ford will be sworn in as President at that hour in this office.